When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's a podcast presented by Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. They're online at DesignAirService.com. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan, and it is my pleasure to bring to you today presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, friend of the podcast, back for his, I guess you can say annual appearance. We do this every August, even though it's kind of coincidental. Maybe it wasn't August last year. It might have been July. Either way, summer interview with Joe Buck. Uh, And so Joe um, came in and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this interview and I don't really know what we're going to talk about. And I said, ah, I bet we'll wind up talking about some some amusing stuff for about an hour and 10 minutes. And, you know, I suppose amusing is in the eye of the beholder. But uh, blues, cardinals, golf, all things that you would think he would be talking about. Also, uh, his um, therapy sessions is where we started. And um, he played in the old Warson club championship, like the top flight, which Brett Hull won last year and, uh, and played in the championship match. And, uh, and it's with him still because it's been a couple of weeks and it's with him. And I tried to play the role of therapist and get him through, through that. Uh, and, and for those of you who play, you know how not only for whatever reason, something that impacts you in zero way financially, in zero way uh, status-wise, and by that I'm not talking about, oh, look, now we can hang out uh, in, in Huntley. I'm talking about as far as, like, uh, getting to play, like, in a, on, a, on some kind of mini-tour or tour. Uh, it's, it's really essentially for pride and maybe a little pro shop credit a minimal amount. Um, why it bothers you when you lose. And then assuming you have a girlfriend, fiance or wife, how the girlfriend, fiance or wife has to navigate the mood swings that come with, uh, wins and losses. It is something that is, uh, near and dear to my wife's heart. Uh, couldn't be more confused by it. Fane's interest 
feigns interest. I admire her ability to feign interest. Um, it's it's such good acting that for about three minutes of the conversation, when we're we're talking about it, and she's asking a question, I'm like, "Oh wow, Anna Marie is really interested. This is great." And then I start breaking down handicaps and uh, and and I'm going, "There's no. She's such a good person that she's just humoring me with this because she's into yoga." And has been an instructor before, really good at it, because I'll go to class and it's just embarrassing. I'm falling all over the place. And she's like, and the instructor's like, look at what Anna Marie is doing. This is how you should do it. And if she were to go into like a five-minute soliloquy on yoga, I think about three seconds in, I'd go, I got, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's great that you have something you love. I love that you love it. And I want you to enjoy it as much as you possibly can. However, eh. So there she is asking me about this stuff that I know she doesn't care about, and I tip my cap. But with Joe, he also goes into not only the match, but um, how his wife has worked uh, with him on the after effects of said match. And that's something that whether you're calling the World Series or the Super Bowl this year, uh, it will resonate with you if you ever do play any form of competitive golf. So Cardinals, a real straightforward, candid opinion from Joe on the trade deadline activity or lack thereof. Uh, Reliving the Blues run. Um, And then also uh, who he's played golf with on tour and uh, the U.S. Open. And and then also we talked a little bit about... uh, a variety of other topics. It's always good. I mean, it's just like, you know, we're just going to wander. And that's kind of when I think we're both probably at our most, uh, most random. And, uh, and that's what you got here. So, I mean, what does it matter? It's, it's Joe Buck. So like, what's the point of the intro, but I'm giving you an outline. So you know, what's coming. Some people like that. And, uh, and there it is. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is the presenting sponsor of our guests each week. If you're just getting into the podcast, I should tell you, first off, please subscribe. Please like it. Please leave a positive review. It helps. I'm getting, I'm learning more and more about how and why it helps. Um, But I mean, we do, you know, I mean, we do work on these things to get quality guests every week. It is not uh, easy to do. And I don't want to make it like, you know, it's like hardcore manual labor, but to get quality guests and not just anybody in every week. So, you know, if you could, all we're asking is to support these sponsors who make it possible. And Mark Hanna presents the guests. And um, I know Mark. I know Mark now for about a year and a half, and I really think highly of him. And uh, as one of the questions from the audience questions was, you know, as a parent, what is something that you will do with your children or child that you don't know if you necessarily learned as much as you should have when you were growing up. And I would say manage money. And that's where Mark Hanna comes into play at 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He's with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's a sharp guy. He's a good guy. And it's not about, okay, well, here's what I'm going to allocate into these stocks. And here's what I'm going to allocate into these mutual funds. And here's what we're going to do with cash and here's what we should do with your 401k that's not what we're talking about sure we can talk about it but it's about getting you on the right path 
planning. What do you want? Okay, well, now here's how we're going to get you there. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503. Go online at evergreenstl.com. We're broadcasting from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly is the sponsor of the studios. Before we even started this thing, before we even knew what we would have. Now, I, because I am uh, as self-important as I am, was like, of course the podcast is going to be good. Why wouldn't it be good? I mean, it's going to just be really popular and we'll get great guests. And now I kind of look back on nearly two years of it and go, wow, that was probably something that I should have thought through more. But Ryan Kelly didn't think through it. He said, I know that it's going to be good. I'm getting on board before you even do an episode. That's the kind of person Ryan Kelly is. And I know that he's somebody you want to do business with. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly and his staff, whether it's you're buying a home or you're refinancing, they are the people to do business with at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios, where the great Joe Buck came in and we just BSed. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Buck, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Joe, welcome back to the lab. Good to be back. Is it? Um, I don't know. I was thinking about it today that I feel like the last time we did this, I just go on and on and on, and it's very uninteresting. I felt like... I was horrible last year. I'm dead serious. And I actually texted you that. I said, I talk too much. My laugh, which kind of reminds me of a more annoying version of Eddie Murphy's, was prevalent. And I was disappointed in myself. And I told myself this year, I'm going to be better. That's yeah. ridiculous. That's how I, I, uh, I didn't feel that. I felt, and and maybe this is just part of the reason why I just literally came from a therapy session uh, with my therapist. Uh, Let's talk about, that. I talk about that. Sure, but I don't really have anything that's that interesting to talk about for that amount of time. I've got, I've got stuff. I've got stuff. We'll start uh, start in. Well, what was going on with a the therapist? Is this a regular thing? It's it's as regular as I can make it on Tuesdays. It's usually twice a month. There's It's every other week, but I miss so many times just because I'm traveling mm-hmm. and, you know, it's my standing appointment, which I hand out to various family members when I'm not in town. And, uh... I was in town, obviously, so I went. What are you working through? Um, I, I, just, I think I have a high level of anxiety that bleeds into depression a lot. Um, I think there's a fine line between the two, and I certainly am no expert on this, but I'm just an expert on how I feel. I think I worry a lot. I think I... Um, internalize a lot of that. I don't get a ton of sleep, which was kind of the majority of uh, our session. Do you have a problem today. falling asleep? Yeah, I just, no, I have no problem falling asleep. Staying I just, asleep? I do, yeah, I just don't get really deep sleep. So every day I could, I could be in bed, quote unquote, asleep for 12 hours and I would wake up tired. That sucks. Has this been a problem like for a long time? Or is yeah, I was, I think it's been a problem since I was about 40 and I'm 50 now. So it's, it's been a decade's worth of waking up tired, which now that I'm back in the mode of right, basically where you are with a child times two and 15 month old twins and chasing them around, which has been unbelievable uh, in a good way, but it's very tiring. And mixing that in now with my schedule, it's about to pick up. I think there's just a lot on my mind. And I, I don't know if it's more physical. I think she and I, my therapist and I determined today that it is more physical with kind of a, 
a CPAP thing that I need. I've oh, got you need some a CPAP. Sli- yeah, I've I got usually sleep think of people apnea. Who are obese needing those things for uh, sleep apnea, right? Yeah, but it's not that. It's okay. it's if you're kind of I'm so stuffed stuffed up with my nose that I mouth breathe, and I think when I mouth breathe at night, I wake myself up. I don't think it's anything life threatening, but and you can mark this for when I die in my sleep someday. Uh, you can bring this back out. Uh, I I I think it's more. I don't breathe well at night, therefore I never really get into deep sleep. Does Michelle that, hear you that making, exciting? Yeah, I follow you on this. Does Michelle hear you? Like if I'm on my to... back, no. If I'm on my back, I snore. If I'm on my side, I don't. Uh, but uh, every once in a while, I'll get kicked in the leg or uh, shoved or yelled at uh, to to shut up. But she could sleep through a nuclear disaster, and I can't sleep through anything. That's how I am. My wife, she is up at all hours of the night reading. That's how she, and she doesn't sleep, and I feel terribly for her. It's I, brutal. I just, it's a terrible thing. It's a real thing, and everything wheels off that. When you wake up tired, it's a bad start to the day and then everything just grinds you down so that that gets back to what i said is it am i anxious is it depression or is it just exhaustion that leads to being anxious and kind of depressed it's 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 a weird kind of formula that you have to piece together so i've had nasal surgery since i last tried my cpap machine i'm going to try it again tonight i will report back to you via text Uh, in a few days to see whether I got better sleep just to let you sleep uh, easier. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you also had a medical issue, if I'm not mistaken, during the blues run. Do you recall? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that was classified at the time. Does it remain classified? Can we un... Yeah, I mean, I don't know that, again, I I don't find this interesting at all, but it was... uh, We were on the radio and you said, Tim, and you... So the audience knew, I knew what had happened, but then the audience like, oh, is there something wrong with Joe? Yeah, That's no. what, of course, was no. taken out of that. There was, was nothing really wrong right. with me. It was uh, it was like a hemorrhoidal issue, but it was it was not a hemorrhoid. It was something that uh, was festering that uh, needed well, what a, to be— What a verb for— Needed, to, needed some attention. That was, and, that was Doc uh, Emmerich-like verbs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you with, for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I got it taken care of and that, that was, uh, that was an interesting time. Was that a surgical taking care of? Yeah, it was like an in-office visit and let's just say, uh, Lance paid me a visit. (laughs) Ah, ah. All right. We're texting during the blues run. How much did you enjoy that? It was, uh, it was beyond my expectations. I mean, I've been a lifelong blues fan, and, and I'm no different than anybody else out there. I'm just another one of them. And I think we probably all have the same type story. I was introduced to it by my dad. My dad and I spent many nights sitting on the couch watching, and he was jumping and reacting to to what is this great sport that goes end to end. Um, and you go. For, I think the beauty of it is you go from a scoring chance to – hanging on for dear life within five seconds back down the other end. So that's what makes it so fun. And I, I latched onto that and it was something that my dad was a huge fan of having been their original voice. I think he understood hockey as life and the years went on more than he did when he was broadcasting. Mm. Um, and so then I carried it forward with my daughters and it was been a season ticket holder since I was in my early twenties and, it was something that I took my daughters down to. And so we all did that as a family. And as I've said before, it's the one thing that I can openly root for 
and I have no shame in wearing whatever I can and, and telling everybody that I'm a diehard blues fan. But again, I mean, I, it's no different than anybody else. I'm just somebody that has access to TV and radio and I get to talk about it more than everybody else. And it, it probably drives people nuts and, and nobody's uh, saying that I'm the number one super fan, but it was emotional. And I, it, it dominated my mood. I mean, I felt like I was a kid again, because when I was a kid, if the Cardinals won, I went to bed happy and I woke up happy yeah. because I would think, oh, what the Cardinals do last? Oh, they won and I was happy. And if they lost, I'd go to bed mad and I'd wake up and go, ah, oh, they lost last night. Lee Smith blew a save or Bruce Souter blew a save. And now, you know, that, that set my tone for the rest of the day until they played again. And that left me early on in life, that whole fandom kind of rooting because for Because you're broadcasting. Stuff. I would imagine you're broadcasting. And I think when you're, when you're around the team. Yeah. And you're on the charters and you see somebody blow a big game and then five minutes into the flight, the middle seats kick down, the cards are out, the meal money's on the table, they're laughing and drinking and having fun. You realize as a kid, I care more about this stuff than they do. And and they can't care like we care as fans because they'd be paralyzed by failure and they couldn't respond to uh, – to not getting the job done properly. I think they have to be able to flush it. That's what that's what professional athletes can do, but we as fans don't. And so I, I think I saw that as a kid. I understood it. And then when I got into it as a broadcaster, as, as I started to do more and more national stuff, that just kind of left me. So to be able to tap back into that and feel like a kid again while the Blues were going on this run, which was unexpected, we've had better Blues teams that didn't win, uh, and to beat a Boston team that was seemingly better, really throughout every round of the playoffs, to to beat, you know, really every team they did to get there was awesome. Where were you when they won? I was at Pebble, so when That's, they, I knew you were out of town on yeah. So you were getting ready for the U.S. So Open. it was the next day it was day one. So it, they won on a Wednesday night, and Dan O'Neill, who helps me with my golf uh, coverage, uh, was out there, and he and I were in my hotel room. Formerly the Pocus Bat, Dan. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that he did that. Yeah. So, and that. he's, you know, he's written books on the blues yeah. and he has a theme song about the blues. And, uh, so he and I were in my room drinking beers, uh, eating room service and watching on, uh, the TV at, at whatever that hotel, the lodge at Pebble beach and screaming and the doors were open, screaming and yelling. They probably thought there was <laughs> a murder going on in there, but, uh, no, it was just the blues, uh, dominating game seven. That f the first, I'm telling you. The first, I realize at this point it's been like seven weeks, but the first 17 minutes or so. Dominated by Boston. Just ridiculous. And Bennington, and I get it, Ryan O'Reilly from day one was, the I think, the whole atmosphere changer of that team, and we know the work ethic and how he is. I've talked to Maroon about how he was with the young guys like Robert Thomas and different guys that were coming up. All that being said, they lose game seven without Bennington. And, and I, I watched the highlights again three days ago because I'm on the Blues app. And if you go down, you know, a couple of rows, you see the highlights from Game 7. And you watch it again with a little bit of separation between now and then. And you go, my God, this guy stood yeah. on his head and, and stopped point-blank shots and on the road and just spit on these shots. And, and then eventually they took the lead and he kept playing great. And it was 2 nothing, And he had another unbelievable save kicking out his right leg mm -hmm. and then 
two seconds later, it's three nothing, and that's when they won that 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 all hope of a comeback that was gone. I had uh, Maroon was in here actually a couple weeks ago, and I said we've had a debate. Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe were screaming at each other in here. Cam said uh, O'Reilly should have been the Conn Smythe winner. Reed was insistent that it should have been Bennington. So I said to Pat, I said, I know it's going to be awkward. I said, but who do you think should have won the Conn Smythe? Uh, O'Reilly or Bennington? He goes, I actually think it should have been Jaden Schwartz. And he goes, people forget how good he was the first couple series. I know O'Reilly went on a tear. He goes, it's not against O'Reilly or Bennington. He goes, I just think Schwartz was, and I guess when you think about Winnipeg and uh, the run that he went on. Yeah, I think it's easy to remember the last Yes, and that's looks. what happens with those Conn Smythe throws. But, I mean, I think you could go back to game seven against Dallas, and, you know, Maroon was the guy that got the winner in double overtime, but they're not there without more incredible saves, and there were some golden opportunities Dallas missed that if one of those goes in, oh, we're, we don't yeah. have the ride of our None lives. Of don't have another month and a half of it. No, yeah. as, as Blues fans. So were you there great. for game six against Boston? No, I was out of time. I was, gone. Already gone I was, I was already gone. Yeah. Um, so I watched with Faxon, Brad Faxon, who's on our golf crew, who's from New England and is a huge Boston fan. Well, she watched with him. We watched it at the tap room in the lodge. Uh, I didn't even want to go, but he was having dinner with uh, – couple different players that were going to play that week and I felt one of them was Fleetwood and one I felt like if I didn't go I was being lazy because I could actually meet Fleetwood get to know him a little bit ask him some questions about and all I did was stare at the TV the whole time and then they lost and I'm listening to facts and you know chirp and facts is not even paying attention and by the way went to a party during game seven uh and He's like, uh, I stopped watching after the first period. I was like, after the first period? 2 nothing game. It was a 2 nothing game. You're not a fan. I don't want to hear one thing you have to say about any of this. Was so, Tommy Fleetwood watching game six? No. He, <laughs> he probably has no idea what the hell was going no, on. No, he couldn't care less. Uh, but his caddy, Ian Finnis. Uh, an amusing character. An amusing, great guy. Mm -hmm. But I've never not understood somebody who theoretically speaks the same language I do. More, He's like... I, I, he's got the heaviest accent and I was just nodding. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. And he was talking to me about the blues and about the game and why I love it. And he was great, but I couldn't understand a friggin' word he was saying. <laughs> Who else was at this? Any other players have noted at this dinner? Uh, no, but Jeff Shackelford was there who oh, has course. been one of our biggest critics uh, at golf. Oh, I didn't Fox know he was golf. one of your biggest critics. Well, he's one of the few guys that writes kind of a golf-centric TV column. The no laying up guys get into that. They get into that. You've been on no laying up, I've been right? I've yeah. been on that. They like us for yeah. some reason. Uh, Shackelford has never liked us uh, and took some shots at me. And then, you know, I, I was in spots where if I were him and had taken shots, I would go out of my way to introduce myself. He didn't. And then we kind of oh, so he kind of took shots, but then he lurked. Well, we were in the same spot, and it was one of those where our producer you know was like, he was? "No, I didn't know who he was." And uh, our producer, after he left a restaurant, after he took shots at us after the Franklin Templeton thing, which was like our first event ever, and uh, we were in the same restaurant up in Tacoma before Chambers Bay or during Chambers Bay, and he kind of walked right past me, and our producer was like, "You know who that was." No, that was Jeff Shackford. Okay. So then we, we actually got to know each other, and the guy, I, I bow down to his knowledge of golf, golf course architecture, all that, and we've become 
friends. So mm-hmm. I talked to him the whole time while watching the game. Faxon had his back to the TV, I think. And uh, so it, you know, it was it was a fun night, and it was I was glad I was there for no other reason to get to know Jeff better. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, I can't do so. I have to just be all in. I know. I see. I can't imagine watching a Blues Stanley Cup final game and not being able to be to concentrate. Exactly. Like I'm too batshit about it. Yeah. You know? I, I, I and it happened. We were doing the Women's Open in uh, South Carolina, and uh, that was I don't know game. Two maybe game one. I don't know what it was. Boom, one or boom, two. Gunnarsson? Uh no, it must have been game game one. Game one and game three. There wasn't much. No, of I think a it was sweat. game five. Game five was the uh, the missed call game. Bozak uh, trip and then uh, the goal. Yeah, I don't, how do you remember all that? You know, I have a weird memory. You really I, do. You have to have a really good memory. I do not. Really, I do not. I uh, my grandfather. Dealt with memory loss slash Alzheimer's. Uh, I seem to get every. It's skipping a generation. Is what ge- I get every. It's your dad, trait I think, had a great memory. Didn't oh, he? unbelievable yeah. memory to the day he died. Yeah. But my grandfather, bald, uh, you know, decent athlete. I, I he was a great athlete. I I am semi athletic, and I'm destined for the same fate <laughs> that he met. Uh, so I don't, I really do not. Yeah. I can't, I can't differentiate a lot of those moments, uh, one from the next. Yeah. But Steve Horn's right there. Steve Horn's right. I, I employ a lot of people and I pay well. <laughs> Dan O'Neill, Steve Horn. I had no idea Dan O'Neill was doing it. I had, how yeah. long was he doing it? From the beginning? From Chambers Bay? Um, no, he wasn't there. Maybe. Yeah, I think he was. was he? I think he was there at Chambers Bay. So from the beginning. Yeah. And I, I've gone from having him there and me paying him directly to him being a part of kind of the Fox. Oh, that's great. Uh, broadcast. But, uh, yeah, he's fantastic. He gives me notes during the broadcast. I mean, there's so much time. You're on all day. And the thinking was to have somebody there in the press tent for when guys would get off the course and gauge reaction, you know, get some interesting comments that guys were saying. Because once you're in the booth, and you're following shot by shot. You kind of lose the big picture, and you certainly have no idea what anybody's saying in the press tent mm-hmm. after they get finished playing golf. So, it's it's a it's a good set of eyes and ears for us, and, and for me in particular to have uh, really locked in on that and sending me texts during the game during, you, during the broadcast. How do you feel about the U.S. Open broadcast this year? Felt great. Yeah. Um, it was fun. It was. I thought it was well covered. Um, I thought our crew did a great job. Our our director was awesome with the drone shots hanging off the cliff there at eight. And I think a lot of angles that even though Pebbles on TV every year, sometimes twice a year, even Jim Nance said when he came in, he's like, man, I've, I've seen shots here and he lives there. He's like, I've, I've seen shots here that I've never seen on TV before. And, you know, I, I think he was genuinely appreciative of, of the way we presented that really cool piece of land. So I, I was really proud and it, it felt comfortable. You know, it's gone from hanging on from, for dear life to, okay, I kind of get it to, uh, you know, the whole Brooks Kepka thing for me, which was just a, just a brutal moment. And we talked about that last year and I still say it wasn't that big of a deal. And you think it's 50 million times worse than anybody else. Well, I, it it is when it's you. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's going to sleep at night thinking about that anymore. But I think at the time it's just embarrassing. It's 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 it felt like we just had a really good week, 
and the last thing going off the air was like, you know, it's like singing the national anthem and the last note is extremely flat. It's like, it doesn't matter what you did going to that last note. All anybody's going to remember is the last note. And that that's how I felt. Like, I felt like I let our crew down by, you know, and I've talked about it a million times, trusting a card that was wrong. And that's on me, but uh, it's double frustrating when it's not your total mistake. That's why I don't really like, I, I, I run everything through a filter and that's why Steve Horn is who he is, because if if and, and he's a, a guy for those who have no idea who we're talking about, you know who I'm talking <laughs> I about. Do, I, I, he's the smartest guy when, he it, really is. when it comes to history, government, politics, religion, medicine, yes, sports, but all that stuff. If he hands me something, I don't even have to look no. at it before I start in on it. It's right. And that's that's kind of the world we live in. It's just it's become more and more of a gotcha society and it's a it's a high wire act and and if you get a wrong card and you launch into it it's it's you got to live it down but you and kepka now have since had quite a bit of fun with we this. were we were good five minutes afterward yeah. i got his number from faxon and texted him and he laughed about it and then we've kind of i had him to a baseball game and he's he he's a great guy um he's the great nephew of dick groat which yeah, uh, right. a lot of people don't know fact, and yeah. uh I mean, he comes from a really athletic family. And, and you know, Horns told me a million times, Dick Grote was not only a two-time World Series champion, one with the Pirates, one with the Cardinals, but played in the NBA and was considered one of the best athletes during the decade of the 50s in the United States. And and this is – and Kepka was in a car accident as a kid, and it's the only reason why he didn't go into contact sports – even really? baseball, because they, there was a head injury or something that happened that didn't allow him to do anything but play golf. And that's how he got into golf. It's why I think at his core, he's probably a football, baseball, hockey player, but he takes whatever athletic God-given ability and, and has applied it to golf. And it's it's why he, I think, looks a little different than everybody else. And, you know, he just looks more athletic. And I, I don't think he really... Uh, gets intimidated by the big stage have you uh have you played with him i've not played with brooks i've played with a lot of those guys but brooks i have not um i played in a group in front of his father this past june during the u.s open over at cyprus oh. his dad could not be a better guy uh was actually sitting in the booth for part of the time uh this year at pebble beach and you know, it's it's funny how one of those moments like I had with Brooks, with Jenna Sims, the girlfriend and all that has led to kind of knowing him like I wouldn't otherwise have gotten to know him. And then now his dad and his family a little bit. And you just realize these guys are, are just, for the most part, good guys, great athletes, and, and you know, don't really worry about too much. He didn't care at all about right, that whole thing. Right. Was there, you think there's something to him with the chip on the shoulder thing that it actually motivates him, and then he goes out and he just bombs? I think some of it's fake. I you know like the, uh... like when he when he, we were doing the interview uh, at Pebble, and he said, you know, well, you guys didn't have me in your promos. Uh, and he was in every promo except <laughs> one that he saw from – you know, there was probably the same promo we've been running for five years. Mm. It was like, you know, it was Tiger and Phil and you're going to put the big, but it was just a repeat of an old promo. Otherwise, I mean, Kepka was on the side of the building at Fox. He was on a billboard. <laughs> so I think some of that is manufactured, but whatever works, I mean, keep doing it. If, if you're Brooks Kepka, 
let it roll and and let everybody let it feel like everybody's got it out for you and then just go kick everybody's ass which is what he's done you say you have played with a few of these guys who have you played with and i'm just curious what your impressions are when you get a chance to see this up close and personal actually while you're playing with them um let's see i've played with i you know i've never played with tiger i've, I've played with phil um, you have i have what was that going hundred thousand a hole or what yeah <laughs> It was at a charity event. We didn't get into that, but I did chip in in front of Phil. I was like, this is the greatest moment of and my what life. what was his reaction? He was like, oh, great shot. I'm like, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Let me get my phone out uh, and say it again into it. I've been, I played with couples. I played with Pat Perez. I played with uh, Spieth. I played with around Thomas. A lot of this is Cabo-driven. Like yeah. Spieth is, a, is an owner down there. And, I didn't know he was down there, really. Yeah. Uh, now Fred's got a new place down there, right? Yeah, Fred is Fred of all the guys, even to this day, the most impressive guy that I've played with that you watch, and I it's probably not a big surprise, but Fred is still he hits it a mile, and it's so beautiful to watch, so fluid and not worried. I don't think about his technical swing. I think he's just kind of a feel player. He's got that kind of backswing that goes up and his hands are high and it's just like it's just beautiful to watch like a left-handed baseball swing it's for some reason it just just looks better Mm -hmm. and he's the most impressive guy that that i've played with considering age and everything else when i played with him i mean he he hits it as far as anybody now you are fresh off of something that i want to spend a good amount of time on the club championship why nobody cares (laughs) nobody cares I did make it to the finals. That's at, impressive. At the that's old Morrison. That's a, that's a goal. I, I did. I you played had to beat Brett Hall, defending champion. I played uh, probably the th- I played and beat the three of the best, if not the best, golfers to get to the finals. Um, a guy named Eric Kittner was the last guy I beat in the semifinals. Hall in the quarterfinals, and then the first guy I beat was Tim Collins, who's right from this neighborhood and is a young guy and played college golf. And I walked into that like. I got no chance, and I just every everything I putted, which is where we'll end up, mm-hmm. went in. So I, I made I don't know six or seven birdies that day, and I was. And your plan is like a three right now, two, three. Yeah, yeah, and he's probably a scratch or a little bit better, and I I just beat him because everything went in, mm-hmm. and then I beat Hull because I wasn't scared of him, and then I beat Kittner because I you know shot one under on the back and played really well and then I get to the finals against one of my best friends right. Harry Freeman right. who I had beaten the week before we kind of turned it into like a fa- I knew I was going to play him and I was I don't know I won like four up or something <laughs> and then when it all counted I three-putted my way around the golf course and and lost what went on you think just off that just, day no I, I think I just wanted it too much and I think I've spent so much time on my swing I just need a new plan on the greens and putting but I I was really proud of two things. One, getting there. And, and I, that's it's, a huge it's, accomplishment. It's, I know you can say nobody cares, but for those of us who care about golf, that's a big deal, especially there. Yeah, I mean, and I thought I would never be in that position, um, and I was in that position. And then I think I wanted it too much. I think I wanted my name on that wall as some sort of validation of my golf game. Uh, but I was I was genuinely happy for my friend, and, and that, uh, that feels – in a loss, that's – the best way I can look at it because I was down five after 12. I was down four after 30. Then everybody starts showing up. And then I made this big comeback and I hit a shot on 16. That was the shot of my life with a 16 par three part. No, that's the par five. Par five. Okay. All right. So I, I hit my drive a little right up in the right rough. 
I was laying up down to the bottom of the hill and I caught the bottom of a tree branch and it hit and stopped. And I was like two, playing 230 across the water mm-hmm. to the back right pin uh, and I hit a rescue to 10 feet and the place went nuts. I won that hole. Now all of a sudden I'm only down one. After all the all these, so you and Harry talking at all? Oh one. yeah, yeah, we're okay. having a blast. This is this is Phil and Tiger pay per view. This isn't, but better. <laughs> that that was better. the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so yeah, we're talking, having fun, but both of us really won it. He's never been in the finals. I've never been in the finals. But all of a sudden, I'm down one going into 17, which is the 35th hole, mm-hmm. and I'm charged up. I hit a six iron on the par three right to the middle of the green. He pulls his left. Off the green, I'm like, theoretically, if I two-putt this, I'm even going into the last hole after playing the some of the worst golf putting-wise, best golf of my life hitting-wise. I'm I'm even going into the last hole. And I two-putt for one of the rare times of the day, and he gets it up and down. And he made a, I don't know, six, seven-footer to to stay one up, and it was a clutch putt. And I was I was like, all right. If he wins it, he won it right there, yeah. and and you gotta kind of tip your cap. Yeah. And he walks up to the tees like, if I miss that, we probably don't even play thirty six hole. Yeah. You know, I want to. I have no chance to even get this ball in the air. And but he made it, and he won by one. So from a standpoint, like psychologically, he would have been he would have been a mess. Yeah. And and we've talked about it a million times, and everybody was like, oh my god, if he misses that putt, and I I really didn't even watch. I kind of walked to the next tee because I I didn't I didn't feel good rooting against him. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I left. I probably should have hovered like in his <laughs> peripheral vision, just to be like, I'm still here. I haven't gone away. You're about to blow this, but I just got out of the way, and he made the putt and. Everybody lives their life. So I'm curious on this. Well, first, how many people are watching? Because you said there were a lot of people watching. They were out of carts. So I don't know. Wow. Well over 100. Yeah, that's impressive. Now, you've called God only knows how many World Series. You probably do know. God only knows how many Super Bowls. I can't imagine. 21 and 5. 21 and 5. Thank you very much. Um, That really, when it gets down to, I'm sure you get amped up and you talk about, you know, having anxiety and thinking. And that's. I got got the same thing going, but I would imagine you're not nearly as nervous for Super Bowls or World Series as you are for the final. Typically, typically I would have been unable to pull the club back, but for some reason that day, the more people that showed up, the better I played. Yeah, that's, that is, that does correlate to your search. Which is stunning to me because there's some like fear of failure. There's some, you know, you're going to be found out as a fraud. You're not that good of a golfer. And, you know, that little voice in your head, like, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And I think some of that was going on on the greens. And the greens were extra fast. And I was not used to that speed out there. And I kept put, I kept getting above the hole. And I was Which is death dead there. coming down. I was yeah. just gagging it down the hill. And that was my undoing. But as far as full swings and hitting the ball, I, I – can't go back when the crowd was at its biggest i was at my best and i I was excited to be i was like i can't wait to show them a good shot which is not typical me hope you're enjoying our conversation with joe buck here on the tim mckernan show presented by mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies we're in the homeloanexpert.com studios and james carlton is a sponsor who has been with us from the very beginning as well and now I am a client of James Carlton's 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. You say, Tim, you're doing a commercial. 
why are you so excited about your insurance agent? I said, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. It gives me a chance to address it because his customer service is in another stratosphere from anybody else's. He's online at carltoninsurance.net. We have unfortunately dealt with some things where we had to use our insurance agent. And, uh, and James was on top of it. James was actually, for lack of a better term, the aggressor. And by that, I mean, he was the one initiating content and making sure contact and making sure that we were on top of our various bills or when it came to our basement and the flood damage we had in March. I mean, he captained that. It's just, you know, I just, I just don't know what we would have done without him. And that's, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I'm so happy we made the switch because that was a tough time. Anybody who's been through it with the rain we've had in St. Louis this year, I'm sure a number of you have, you know how much you rely on your insurance agent. Well, if you have James Carlton, you are ahead of the curve. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. So I'm playing, I played a lot with Edmonds at spring training. And he talked about how he gets really nervous with golf. And I said, okay, when you were standing at Fenway Park for game one of the World Series in 2004, you're nervous. He goes, God, no. I wasn't even really thinking about anything. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, why is it for this game where guys who have done it, in Jim's case, borderline for my money away, Hall of Fame potential, but then the game of golf, even if you're playing like in front of five, ten people, it can yeah. it can eat you up. It's weird, but I, I think there's I think we all have a, a bigger ego than we realize. And I nobody wants to play poorly or feel like they're embarrassed. And whether it's you doing this or me doing a World Series or Jim playing in a World Series, that's what you do. That's what he does. That's what I do. Yeah. And when you're on stage like you are in those other moments, but now you're doing something that isn't yeah. your deal, it's fear of failure. And it's it's fear of embarrassing yourself. At least it is for me. And I, and I know what Jim's talking about. I mean, and I've talked to Freddie Couples about that to go back to him. About, you know, what's it like being at Augusta and being at, you know, on the 12th tee and, you know, you, you've got the thing in your hands and you've wanted this so badly and how isn't it hard to pull the club back? That's the beauty of golf to me. And that's always been my my desire when doing golf, like lay out and let the guy select his club, walk up just in total silence and let's see that club start back and hear the club meet the ball. Like that that's the beauty of golf on TV in 2000 whatever, 19 even 2010 with the audio and mm-hmm. the video and the way that looks and sounds. That's the for anybody that plays golf, that's the cool stuff. What did couples say about that? Cuz that guy always had the reputation he said he's, he's being the like, coolest. He's guy. like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> I said, "There's the answer right. I expect." I said, "You know, like the things in your grasp and you're at the iconic 12th and you're an amen corner and everybody's around you and a national television audience. And how aren't you just overwhelmed with nerves before you take the club back? I no. What do you, and I was like, okay, well then there you that's go. That, I right, couldn't let's put out here. Right. Then. Yeah. And it's, that's just the way I think people are wired. That's why he's successful at what he does. That's why I can do a world series. That's why you can do this. That's why Jim can, act and react the way he typically does because he's comfortable and mm-hmm. and it's all about comfort yeah i agree with that i just i, 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 I mean i played the at&t i played at tahoe i'm gonna play again next year i've been i've been out for a while and i've played terribly at, at tahoe 
And I played well. I finished, I think, tied for 15th the last time I played. This is the event that Romo's won the last couple of years? Yeah, that that celebrity golf event. So I'm going to go back in this next July and see how I do. But I want to do so well, it becomes self-defeating. And that's what it was for me in that club championship. I think I'll be better the next time, I hope. But... It really does it matter? I it's not That's the what thing, we it doesn't do. matter. But then I explain it to my wife, and I'm just like, for whatever reason, it's something I care about. I have no idea why. I have no idea why. I don't either. And it's it's ruined my mood for the last month. And I'm I'm not being funny. I mean, like I think about it. It gets into my head at different points of the day. Like, had I won that, nothing I feel changes. Like, nothing but changes in my life. Great. But I feel great, and I feel like I've I got my name on that wall. And anybody who's having lunch up there looks at the list of past club champions, and it doesn't matter what I do in golf going forward, I have that on my belt, and I I, I blew it. That, so that that that's hard for me. How did Michelle manage you that evening? She was great. I mean, she's like, okay, let's talk about this. She worked through, even though probably internally she's, she's like, like, this Jesus is the dumbest. Craig, give me a fucking break. I don't want to <laughs> listen to this for one more minute. But she brought the boys up. Uh, for the stretch drive of that thing. And that's, again, when I played probably my best golf. And she was there for the back nine, so the last nine holes of 36. And it was good having her up there. I thought maybe that would make me nervous. It didn't. But the whole time, you know, like that night, the next day, I said something to her two days ago, and this is a couple weeks old. I'm Mm -hmm. like, God, if I just putt like a beginner, I win this thing. She's like, are we really back on? <laughs> so her patience she, on She's gone from, okay, let's talk this out. Let's talk this through to, will you shut up? And if you bring this up again, I'm going to punch you. And she has every reason yeah, I know, I understand. to punch I, me I've if I bring the, it up again. Look. Like, nobody cares. <laughs> and uh, and yet it is, it, I chew on it every day. How have you become, have you gotten tips from, I mean, like Faxon? Like, I'm watching Faxon videos on YouTube about putting. I mean, yeah. you've got a guy there with putting. Um, well, like that's going to be savant. my next thing because I've been, as I said, so worried about my swing. I think I got my swing where I want it. It's just putting. So he's like, well, we'll handle the putting thing. So but you I, talked to Faxon about it? You I said did. Him, yeah. I talked to Faxon about it before I played. He I, he brought me uh, for my 50th this Scotty Cameron proto putter that is unbelievable. I don't know what the thing's worth, but it's, it's basically – one of a kind and uh i i you know i it's not the equipment it's in my head and my hands yeah. and that's that to me is a hard thing like i need a plan and i don't have a plan on the greens i'm just kind of wishing it into the hole and that's i don't, I don't think that works i watch his videos because i'm trying to get something like that too and i just i still haven't been able to find a drill or some kind of like i've played with plan. him a million times and it's so fun to watch somebody that's that good at putting, and and he would he, if he were sitting in here right now, he'd tell you he he doesn't hit it far. He doesn't he can slap it all over the place. He played at St. Louis Country Club a couple of weeks ago. We we were in uh, separate groups, but all together. And a friend of mine that's a golf instructor played with him. He's like, I, it just was unbelievable. He hit it all over the place, didn't hit it far, and then at the end of the day, because he's so good on the greens, he was four under. And and he's like, I would have thought he shot 80 the way he felt, the way it felt playing with him. And then you start adding it up and you go, the guy's four under because he doesn't, he never three putts and, and most of his putts go in. God, it's amazing. I wonder what that's all about. I, I don't know. Um, he's just got, I putted for him that day and he's like, I like that. You got your right arm, your right elbow bent. You've got a good angle. I'd like to see you be a little bit more athletic over the ball, but that looks good. That was his 
thing. And that was a week before I played in yeah. my match. And uh, it, it wasn't that. It was more mental and kind of yippy more than anything. Yeah, well, But whatever. This is the, people, no chance anybody's still listening. I if they guarantee started. you people are listening to this. I guarantee. We have this thing on our show. We have this Facebook. Are you still on Facebook? No. You got rid of it. I, I'm theoretically I'm on it. Okay, but I, I don't, don't know if you got rid of like of deleted the account on Instagram uh -huh. sparingly on Twitter sparingly. I'm, I've never. I don't think I've ever been on. Oh yeah, sorry. I I, I I'm never on Facebook ever. Okay, all right. It still exists, I guess. It I does. know there are fake accounts that people are like, "Is this you? Would I really put that picture of me up as as me?" Uh, no, that one's fake. Uh, Instagram, I have a private one. I think there's a public one from when I did my book, but I don't ever check that. Okay. And then Twitter, I send it to a publicist. They tweet it out. I don't even look. Not at even it. doing it. Not, hardly any more tweets. No. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like occasionally, like, you'll binge and then you'll go back. Yeah, but it's been about a year since I know. I've binged. Because I went to the, I went to your timeline. I'm like, I don't remember Joe tweeting recently. And it's like, yeah, it's been like, a, like three in the last couple months. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't see the point. I, I don't. I don't when you and I did it. that podcast week, we had Costas on, and he goes, "Well, what's the upside for me to do this?" And I'm kind of how many like, people have gotten in trouble on Twitter? Destroyed their careers. Destroyed their careers. And I think, and and we've probably talked about this on here or elsewhere, that I think when it's on your phone, it feels really personal. And and if you send, it's like sending a text mm -hmm. to a buddy, and you go, "Ha ha!" You you do something, and it's it's flippant or it's sarcastic or whatever, and then. You start realizing how people can take it. You might as well grab, as, as Horn has told me, you might as well grab a microphone and sit on Fox and national TV and say it. Because if you say it on there and it's out there and it's weird or it's borderline funny or uh, insensitive, you're dead. Mm -hmm. And and that's just it's kind of the world we live in these yeah. days. And uh, it's, it's just it's it's not worth it for me. There's no upside. That's the thing. There's no upside. There's I would love no to upside. do it. Right. Trust me. I would love to, you know, post clips of movies or have, you know, thoughts that I random. And I, I would go through stretches, but then I would gauge the reaction and it'd be like, oh, this they don't even get what I'm saying or. Fuck you. You hate the Yankees right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then it's like, oh, and then you <laughs> read that. It's like, why did I do this? <laughs> no, why am I checking it? Um, so I, I, I just don't. No, I mean it. I feel like, and I said this earlier, it's more of a gotcha society, and and at least on social media, than it's ever been. And when you get clickbait, you know that's why, you know, I do anything for you. But I'm starting to evaluate why I would go on, you know, whatever W E E I in Boston or you're why about I, Francesa. Oh no, that's a W F A N. F A N. Any of those. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be interesting at all you're probably going to say something that is going to eventually turn into clickbait. And I've done it. I've been burned by it. That's why, that's why I don't really look at Twitter because when I do see stuff that people take most likely the wrong way, or they don't understand my job as a national broadcaster, instead of the same type voice they hear all year long, I get it. I understand it, but I want to, I want to go, well, that's not, that's not right. That's not my job is not to be there to only do the game from your vantage point. I have to do it from both sides. Mm -hmm. I mean, I people in St. Louis think I hate the Cardinals. We've gone through this a million times. And that's because I'm not doing the game as 
my dad. I'm not doing the game as how I started, which was, hey, we need a triple play here. I would never say. I can't mm -hmm. say that. So you have to do it from the vantage point of you know Switzerland that that has no rooting interest, and you you kind of live and die by those reactions. And if you let that stuff get into your head, you, you'd never open your mouth again. You do follow the team closely. I'm curious because I, because because you're not doing the games, you're in a position to be. Ah, this is what I really think, and I don't really care because I don't have to worry about anybody giving me any uh, negative feedback for. When the trade deadline came and went and the Cardinals didn't do anything, your reaction? I'm stunned. That's where I was, too. I'm glad to hear you say that. I had a feeling you were going to say that. I, I thought, if nothing else, they would do something just to say, hey, we did something. Because they haven't done a thing. In right, years. and and the pressure has been on. You know, this that's a bad division. Nobody really is that good in, in the Central. So it's there for the taking. And they may still win the division, but I, I don't think they stack up with the better teams in baseball. I don't think it's even close because the rotation is what it is. They've had injuries that they've had to deal with. Uh, Carlos Martinez right out of the gate. Reyes again. Um, Flaherty has shown flashes of utter brilliance now here in the last couple of starts yeah. or two of the last three or four. Hudson, uh, you know, looks like he might be running out of gas, but but they need one, maybe two starters to have a legitimate chance. But but you're going to give up a lot of your farm system. I don't know how well regarded a lot of their prospects are, but you felt like they needed to do something, if nothing else, to send the message to the team that hey, we're behind you and go get them. And it just was obviously nothing happened. But they're on a long list of teams. You thought the Yankees would Yankees. pull something off. Their pitching is not very good despite all these wins. Um, but, yeah, I, w I was shocked. There's a there's a frustration in St. Louis, and I don't know how aware of it, I suppose, you, you would be with your responsibilities. Between the fan base and the organization that I thought might, once Mike Matheny was fired, a lot of people put it on him, and I always kind of looked at it. I'm like, I'm not so sure how much he deserves blame for what's gone on in, in 16 and 17 and then the first half of 18. And the frustration is still there now. And it used to be, oh, they're not spending money. Oh, Matheny's a terrible manager. Now I feel like the bullseye is on the front office. It was already there, but then in particular when there was a lack of activity at the trade deadline. And so there's a real, and I don't know if it's it's similar to politics where we think it's a bigger deal because we see social media or if it really is there. But, I mean, you got to go back to the days when you were calling games for the Cardinals for the last time for them to miss the postseason this many years in a row if they miss it. Well, I think the, the big... Uh, fallacy that maybe younger fans have, and I know there are a billion older fans that certainly remember, but I grew up, I was old enough to remember what that stadium, Old Bush Stadium, looked like in the 70s. It was empty for the most part because the teams were no good. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I was doing those games, it was Joe Torre. You know, Whitey had been gone for a few years. Joe Torre was the manager. Players were coming and going. The roster wasn't very good. Eventually, Anheuser-Busch sold the team to this group, and then they took off. You know, they had, I thought, the right general manager. They certainly had the right manager. They had a willingness to to spend and, and bring guys in. And then that's seemingly changed over the last handful of years. I'm with you. I mean, I, I thought back in the day, and I've been very open about this, and Mike even knew this, Mike Matheny, who I've always loved as a, as, as a guy, as, as, a, as a friend, I thought when that spot was open and it went to him, I thought it should have gone to Francona. And I was very, you know, I was kind of pushing him on Mosellock. 
and and when Matheny came in and I saw him take to that role, I was like, I was wrong. I mean, this this was the right guy. He's a St. Louis guy, the Cardinal way, all that other stuff. And and then it started to sour. But I think whether you're managing or I'm managing or Connie Mack is managing, you're only as good as what you have. And I think when you go in and you don't have, I don't think Mike really had a cleanup hitter. I don't know that he had a number one real number one guy, real closer by the end, I'm talking about, that, uh, you know, you're not going to win a ton of games. And it's going to make you make decisions in your bullpen that look terrible because you're always trying to make up for something you don't have. And so now here they are, and and they, you know, unfortunately Hicks got hurt, and they don't really have a closer. Um, and Hicks is young. You know, you didn't know going in. Uh, Miller's been hit or miss. Yeah. And uh, Ozuna got hurt. Molina got hurt. As I said, the other guys in the rotation, they have some holes to fill, and I just I don't know how they're going to fill them. Eventually, they're going to have to just buy somebody. I mean, Garrett Cole's the guy coming into going into next year, but they're they're going to be a lot of teams after Garrett yeah. Cole, and they're going to have to outspend some teams that they, you know, in the recent past haven't been willing to outspend. The thing that I think is concerning for fans is you look at some of the players that were identified as core players that have since been traded away and then had success with other organizations, players that have brought been brought in as supposed cornerstone players who then have not lived up to expectations, and then looking ahead going, okay, if it doesn't happen this year, Look at all of the dollars that are committed for next year. There isn't a whole lot of room to add because there are a lot of commitments. Right. Um, and I think people are going, and then they go, okay, now the farm system's not as strong as it was. Where is this organization? Is it at a is it at a crossroads? And at the same yeah, time, yeah, but I think that's nor. I think that's natural. I just think the Cardinals have been so good for so long. You know, you start seeing some of these other teams. Houston is is the most loaded team in recent memory, but they went through, you know, 100 oh, yeah. lost seasons and they were willing to strip it down and then get number one picks and 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 build it up. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to work, but it worked mm-hmm. and they're they're loaded. And then when they seem to need somebody, they have the prospects to go get them. That's the big difference that that mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, Greinke this year, uh, Erlander two years ago. Yeah, and then they were they actually did get Harper. Uh, the deadline last year, but then the uh, Nationals right. owner. So I mean, it. they they have the they have the ability. They've got a great owner uh, in Jim Crane. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, a really great GM who was here. They've got a ter- I think the best manager in the game that combines kind of the analytics with the feel. And he kind of flies under the radar for as much success as he he's. I, I thought he won them the World Series when they won a couple of years ago because their bullpen was a mess. Uh, their closer was done, yeah. and he was just riding the hot hand. And I guarantee you, there were multiple times that the analytics department were saying. This guy's got to get out. His curveball doesn't work against the Yankees, or his curveball's not going to work against uh, whether it was McCullers or yeah. Peacock or different guys coming out of their bullpen. And he just said, "This guy's. This is my best opportunity. This is my best guy right now. I'm going to ride him." And and he, I thought, Hinch won them the World Series by what he didn't do, which was just do what the Dodgers do, which is just analytic it to death and just keep bringing guys in, bringing guys in. Eventually, the more guys you bring in, somebody's going to have an off night and, and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. And and I that's what I love about A.J. Hinch. So they've got they've got it all in Houston. And and the Cardinals, I think their their farm system is, is dry at the upper levels for the most part. And 
they've suffered injuries and haven't been able to. And then they've had a lot of the same guys, you know, a lot of clutter that that you don't have defined roles with anybody. And there seem to be like ten outfielders, right? But none of them really step forward uh, and and grab a hold of anything and say, "You got to play me." I mean, I, you forget the other the other two spots. Figure out, but you got to play me and. You know, that's it's just been going on for the last few years. The thing that's so weird are the last three championships we've seen in St. Louis, and you were on the call for 06 and 11 and then the Stanley Cup, if you would have said a few months out from those championships, these teams are going to win world championships, you'd go, well, absolutely not. The 06 Cardinals, the 11 Cardinals, the right. 19 Blues. So I feel like you hold on to the shot of the, the 5% well, chance, I, think I guess. They, yeah, and I think they have a number one. I think Flaherty's a number one yeah. starter. I really do. Yeah, I he's think been his, sick the last month. His stuff is that good. So that that's a guy they get credit for developing, and uh, and and he's, I think, a front end of the rotation guy. He just didn't have a great first half. And so, yeah, I'm with you. The 0-4 team was yeah. loaded and was, I thought, the best team in baseball. But the Red Sox coming off – Four in a row against the Yankees, down three games to nothing. They could have played anybody, and they were going to beat them. And you were, of course, cheering for the Red Sox Correct. during that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> during that entire uh, podcast. Yeah. So, but then they went in 06 with a lesser team, and they went in 11 with a team that squeaked in. But those are the fun stories, and yeah. the same with the Blues. So, yeah, they've got a guy that in Flaherty, and they could probably mix and match behind him, that if they get in – you don't know, but uh, some things are going to have to, they, they're going to have to get a hell of a lot more consistent. Uh, I want to touch on parenting here because I'm legitimately curious about this. You, you have a daughter. Is 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 Natalie in New York still? She's in New York. Trudy, is, Trudy in, is about to be a sophomore at, at USC. And then you have your two young tykes who are about a, nearly a year and a half, if I'm correct. Yeah, coming up on it. I mean, they're 15 plus months. Old. So how is, how is, the, how is this? This is a diversified portfolio. Yes, very much so. Uh, it's it's been great. It's tiring. Um, I mean, I'm 50, and and twins is a real deal. I mean, it feels like there's four of imagine. them. I can't imagine. I really like can't. There's four of them running around, and it's hard to do it by yourself. So, it does take the proverbial village to to raise these kids. Um, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to our family. It's been the best thing that's happen to my daughters because they now get to see what it takes to to raise yeah. kids and they are over the moon in love with these little boys and they Blake and Wyatt Blake and Wyatt and they you know I, I think they were threatened initially by me saying that Michelle was pregnant it's a lot for them to handle it's a normal reaction uh, according to everybody I've talked to therapists and other parents who have been through this before and they all said they can be as uh, anxious about it and as upset about it as they want to be. But the minute those boys are born, it's going to all flip. And it flipped and it's been nothing but like love and wanting to be around them and tears when they leave because they don't want them, you know, growing up, not thinking about them because they're both way out of town. So it's been unbelievable. And I've seen Michelle just grow as a mom and my girls get to see Michelle as a mom. And it's it's just been a great it's been a great experience. How tough is it to have your daughters on either coast? I'm proud of them. I'm proud of what they're both doing. Um, Natalie is is really a talented performer, be it acting, singing, uh, Oh, she, I didn't know she sang. Yeah, she can sing. She's kind of one of those people that if she ever does show up on a, a real show and then 
one time she'll sing and be like, God bless. Yeah. I had no idea she could do that. She just really go back sing. when she was a Yeah, kid, she, she could always really. sing. And then uh, my youngest is just tough and uh, youngest daughter and wants to be a director and got into USC and uh, really is thriving. And, uh, you know, they both have boyfriends that I love and feel like they're part of the family. So it's we're really lucky that uh, that they are who they are, and um, they make me proud every day. No, that's incredible. So do you get a chance to – do they come back? Yeah, they, they come there? back a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what St. Louis does. I think it's hard to totally leave yeah. St. Louis. It's just such a nest for everybody that grew up here. So they always are coming back, and I love that. You know, I, I feel like I'm here when – waiting for them to come back like waiting by the front door like a dog but uh that when they do it's it's just awesome <laughs> i wonder about i mean i'm 42 and having a uh, one-year-old almost two-year-old at this point and just like but i mean i would i don't i think i don't think i'd have it any other way now we didn't have a choice because we had difficulties getting right pregnant but i love it and then some people are like oh my god what's it like to be an older parent and i'm like i don't know i mean i'm 42 i don't really think anything of it does that it does me because I've already. But you I feel like said your dad was like an older dad. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will definitely get the which one's your grandson <laughs> question uh, when they're in fifth grade. But but you were a younger parent, relatively speaking. Yeah, with, I was in family. my late twenties. Yeah. Um, so I was a younger parent. I, I've always been close with my daughters, like best friend close, and I feel like I'll be that same way with the boys just later on in life, and I. It doesn't intimidate me, except that I kind of know the ending of the movie a little bit. I know how hard it is, and I know the whole school thing and the homework part. And the what do you mean by that? You know the end of the movie. Technically. I just think it's it's hard raising kids, and I think when you when you see them kind of get out of high school, there's this change in this metamorphosis where they go to college and they become young adults, and that's when they really kind of take on a lot more responsibility. But up to then. You know, I hold my breath at night when they go out. I don't go to sleep until they come home. I, you know, back to the sleep thing. So I, I, that's a real thing for me. I worry and I worry about them and their safety and their health and their, all that. And, you know, like I've said, when I do my children's hospital event, every one of us as a parent is one MRI or CAT scan away from your life entirely changing. And so I, I think about that with them. And now I think about that with two more and, uh, there, there are a lot of traps out there and avoiding those traps and walking the right line is, is really hard to do as a parent. And as a kid, I think more so now than it ever was. I worry about kids dealing with social media. That's what I, cause we both have dealt with it. You times a billion from what I've dealt with, but I'm just like, God, I can't imagine my son. You I think that's son. a real thing. Yeah. And like, there's a like lot the of bullying pressure. is like passive aggressive social media. Like look at the picture of us. We're all here. And then you're not exactly. Yeah. That's a hard thing. And I think. I think it's something that I'm sure any therapist that's listening to this would say, yeah, that's something I deal with a lot because you feel your kids feel left out. They feel like, you know, why am I not there? Or I didn't get as many likes on my photo as yeah. my friend did, or how many followers do I have? And it's, it's I just like, that. Oh, I don't like, it makes me, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. It's, it's sorry. It is pretty scary. That part of it. I wonder if that all is going to, if it becomes less cool when these kids now right, are, know that they're 
grandparents are on Instagram <laughs> right. or on Twitter or on Snapchat right. or whatever, it becomes less cool. Yeah, well, it's like, find I'm not a new doing platform that. to keep us off of it. That's what that's what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, final thing here, I you always see. Anytime we're on, we we have we talk about what what the next play is. You aren't doing the uh, interview show anymore, which I loved. Dan Patrick is now doing that for you. Do you yes. miss that at all? No, no. I have a feeling you're going to answer that. I because did. It felt five, like it was kind of like formulaic in the sense that it was the same. It was. I mean, I, and I'm. This isn't sour grapes because I, you know, I walked away. I I I felt like once the boys were born, going out there for a month, one of my twelve months, two weeks at a time, and doing two seasons of that in one year was too much. Yeah. And they wanted to continue doing all that and. I felt like we got out of it. I got out of it what I wanted to get out of it. We did 50 of them. And did you I, do 50 of them? Really? I didn't yeah. know you did 50. Wow. And, and I felt like I eventually, by the end of 50, I was asking the same questions, and it was just kind of plug in the new guest and rinse and repeat. And when you do a show like that, it's really only as good as how it's edited or it's only as good as how the guest responds to that. And these were three hour interviews that we were sitting there that were getting cut down to one hour. Yeah. And I, um, I, I felt like it was time to move on. I'm glad they got Dan. I, uh, I quit as everything producer and I, I just, Vince Vaughn still on it. Vince Vaughn still in it. Peter Billingsley. Yeah. Um, and they're both friends for life, but it just was too much. So yeah. I, I don't miss that. So you have, of course, golf. You have baseball. You have football. Are you looking to do more? You got another project? No, Less. I think I'm I'm doing I'm doing about the right amount at this point. And then I'm trying other things, trying to produce a few things, trying to. Uh, there's a TV show that I'm trying to sell. There's a TV show my wife's trying to sell separately. Uh, These sports shows, kind of, but not. They're they're scripted. They're not, uh, you know, trivia based shows or game shows. Right. So yeah, no, I'm I'm content doing what I'm doing and lucky to do it all. And I think if if I can diversify and do some things that don't put me in front of a camera and I can make decisions and and do that role from my home in St. Louis or my home in wherever it's sweden uh <laughs> you're then, looking at sweden yeah then i what then the i think I could, this yeah <laughs> joe, joe buck moving to sweden yeah I'll, I'll live in the comment section that day <laughs> yes uh so i i don't know i i'm i'm content and i'm i'm signed for i don't know three or four more years and then we'll see what happens after that I, you know i'm about to launch into the two a week with football and do you look do you, is this a good time of year for you to go oh Honestly, honestly, honestly. You what know do you what mean? I mean? Like, you have all the football and then the baseball. Are you like, oh, I love that. Do you, you do love it? Yeah. You know? Honestly, because I, I think that's when I channel my dad the most because I saw how much he was doing, yeah. which is way more than I do, even at my most busy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I have a tendency to get lazy when I'm I'm not working, and I haven't worked a whole lot over the last couple of months. What are you just been calling a baseball game, and then the U.S. Here Open? and there, yeah. yeah, I did a couple of baseball games. Did the London series, uh, did the U.S. Open, done some speeches and some other things. But I, for the most part, I've just kind of sat around and thought about three putting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to go back. I'm thinking about three-putting. No. It's always wonderful to have you in here. See, we went, we went what, an hour and seven minutes, and you said we had nothing to talk about. Do I, should I apologize to the listeners no. at this point? I, you always, we both, we both beat ourselves up over our, we were just sitting here bullshitting, but I legitimately, yeah. 
I always like, ah, I can't wait to hear what Joe has to And I had a feeling you were going to be like, I can't believe the Cardinals didn't do anything at the trade deadline. That's what, if I would have handicapped that, that was where, that was where my action was going to be. Yeah, I just think uh, there was too much noise for them to not do, like, hmm. even if it was forced, I thought they would do something. Yeah, it sends a message. Even if it wasn't a great deal, I thought they would do something. It sends a message, both yeah. uh, good and bad. All right, that's enough. Thank okay. you so much as always, sir. Thanks, Tim. There it is. Joe Buck here on the Tim McKernan Show. Gangster Pete, I'm going to call on you. What did you like or dislike most about the interview with Joe Buck? Because you had never met Joe before, and now you're email buddies. Uh, I love the interview. I thought it was really cool when he was talking about watching the blues with his old man. Yeah, that's a nice play. Now, uh... That that's the one team that he can actually really be a fan of because he doesn't have any duties calling the NHL. And then also, I thought it was, I enjoyed the part about the club championship. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's like, nobody's going to care about this, but I'm like, even if you don't care or don't even play, like to hear someone who seemingly has the world in his hands be that broken up about, and I get it, and I don't, and I cannot... I think we kind of did delve into like the psycho analysis of why guys care about something that true. Like, it's like one thing if we're like playing for any amount of money, like a, like a, like a, you know, I get that. But like these club championships, unless I'm off the mark on it, but I think they intentionally like make it for like a few hundred dollars of pro shop credit. So you're not playing for like, you know, people are like oh, the old Warson club championship, but that pays like 10 grand or 20 grand or something. And I, you know, you might be surprised well, I, here. I'm I, not a member there, but I don't believe that's the case. I think as you get older, you have less and less competitive outlets. That's also. what I think it is. So, like when you're a kid, you play all these sports, you have all these chances yeah. to win stuff. Now that's like your chance to like prove yourself athletically against other guys. Yeah, and I mean for real. Like now, I've I I lost. I've never won, and I'm I'm not even in the top flight. Um, but I've lost. This year, I was a little surprised I actually lost just because I was my I was just in a, my handicap. I was like, whatever, like the one or two seed in my flight. But again, it's not like it was the top flight. Um, but I played really well, like really well. And so I remember, not, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I kind of didn't care because I played well. But last year, I just played horribly. I think I think someone could even use the word choked if they would like, I would, for something, again, that didn't matter. So for, for the fact that you choke, it's like, what the hell? But And then that bothered me. And I remember saying to my wife, I go, I got to tell you something. I'm really upset about this. And I don't know why. I'm sure some of you can relate to this, you know. Um, so what I, where I can differentiate it and maybe it sounds like this is where Joe is, although it was the club championship and you do probably, you probably had a couple hundred people watching, but if you play well and you lose, even though that sounds like, well, it's just an honor to be nominated. I didn't win the Academy award, but if you play well and lose, it still maybe might bother you that you didn't win, but it's like, you know, sometimes you just tip your cap. You know, if Clayton Kershaw shuts you out for, eight innings and strikes out 13, you kind of go, well, I mean, that's, you know, he was on and what are we going to do? Um, but if you, you know, get carved up by Daniel Ponce de Leon and, and, you know, he shuts you out for eight innings and strikes out 13, you know, you go, well, hold on a second. What did we do? 
So that's that's kind of the, you know, but I guess it's a case-by-case. Case. One of my partners we talk about on the radio show is Cletus, and, uh, and you know, we lost our two-man match, I don't know, a few months ago. And it was the weekend of the Blues game six. And, I mean, we were on number 13, and it was clear we were going to be vanquished. Now, we weren't vanquished yet. I think we got vanquished on 14. But uh, he goes, God, this sucks. And I go, what? And he goes, we're going to lose. And I go, oh, man, I love it. It's like 75 degrees. It's a Friday afternoon. The Blues playing for the Stanley Cup on Sunday, game six. I go, God, this is a great fucking day. And he's like, oh, he goes, this is going to ruin my weekend. I'm like, wow. You know, and we, and we did, we got, we just got, yeah, it was a cap tipper. Guy went off birdie, birdie, birdie. What are you going to do? Um, so you tip your cap. So I don't know now, but if, but if we're in a spot where it's like we blew it, that would bother me, even though it doesn't change what the prize is. So that's where I am. Sounds like Joe's upset because he putted really poorly and he feels like you left it out there. And, and then what you think is, this is what I think, and it's, it, it, it's a wonderful analogy because it's absolutely the same thing. It's what, uh, I've made reference to Edmund saying as he was standing in center field or, you know, as it became clear, the Cardinals weren't going to beat the Red Sox in 2004. And he's going, Oh my God, we have to now get through a hundred. We have to get through spring training, 162 games, win the division series and win the NLCS just to get back to this point. And so if you only play a handful of competitive rounds of golf, you have to wait just to get back to that point. And on top of it, the chances are not necessarily good. You know, just, just from a probability standpoint. And then if you're like, man, I played a role in me losing, that's where it can bother you. And it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I don't know how much competitive golf you've played, Gangster Pete. I know you're a hell of an athlete. It's flying under the radar, but I'm aware of it. I'm hip to this stuff. I mean, I, I, I have I have files on you. It's nice to be recognized. As a DeSmet champion. Um, but it's a weird thing that you get this, like, feeling. And I don't even know how to describe the feeling. Because people have been there. I know they have it. And now now that I've had it enough, I kind of recognize it. And I don't want to say I welcome it, but you recognize it and you just go, okay, you yeah, know, inhale, I've, exhale. I've been in a couple do- of those situations. And then, like, a couple of years will pass that you haven't been one and you start to really like want it more. Like, yeah. You really I, don't, appreciate I don't know what that is. Past is, it, view. is it mental? Is it adrenaline? I don't know what it is. Oh, there's definitely adrenaline. Is it like, adrenaline? They get jacked up. That, like, like it's your Super Bowl. you know, it's such but, a weird thing. It's, I mean, and again, cause it, cause, cause I'm telling you, I mean, I use, I use wives and girlfriends as the example of, they just can't possibly understand. And I, and I have to tell you, I'm on their side, but you know, I mean, it's, it's like a running joke with my friends when we're planning these things. We're like, oh my God, this is like, like the, this, this weekend. Now this will be, by the time this interview plays, it'll be in the past, but we have an event. And for us, it's a big deal. And there is, you know, there's money on the line. So this isn't just like pro shop credit, but, uh, you know, it's a big deal for us. And in reality, she's like, oh, is this going to be like when you played the World Series of Poker Man event and you won that? And I'm like, okay. Or when you like did the DraftKings rosters and you won that? Like, okay, can I see what you're doing here? Because, of course, I never won those. Now, there is not a parallel between winning $10 million at the World Series of Poker or winning a million dollars in DraftKings or winning. But I said to her, I said, I, I, I can't defend it. I can't explain it, and I can't defend it. 
but it's obviously not unique to me. And here we have a guy who will be calling the World Series in a month and a half and uh, calling the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's a Fox year, but certainly one of the next three years. And he is two weeks removed from losing his club championship and broken up by it, which I completely understand. And maybe a handful of the audience is like, this is unbelievable that you guys are even spending time on this. But it kind of gives you a peek behind the curtain on the, the mindset on this stuff. And I, I, I can't, I really can't explain. I'm sure somebody's written an article about it or maybe even a book um, as to like the psychoanalysis of the whole thing, because it really, it truly, I mean, because usually the guys in these positions get to be good golfers because they either were growing up in a position where they were having access to golf courses or they had jobs where they had the ability to work on the game. You know, you aren't born a golfer. And so therefore, you're in a position where you have some form of money, either inherited or you've earned it, and you ha- therefore have the time, and therefore winning a couple hundred dollars in pro shop credit is is irrelevant, and yet it can break people down. We heard that here on the podcast today. Um, now, outside of that, uh, I like the candor on the Cardinals, and I had a feeling he was going to do that, as I said, right when he said, I was stunned. Um, interestingly, I had no idea he played with Mickelson and chipped in with him. And, uh, and then running through the blues things. I know that was so important to him. We were, uh, I don't know if we got into the, the, when he texted me about what he just revealed was a hemorrhoid situation. Uh, that was the night of game six of the blues and sharks. And we were texting that night and I don't know, I don't know how the text started, but he's just like, there's no way they can win. Cause it can never be this easy for the blues. They'll probably lose and then win game seven. I'm like, yeah, I got this weird feeling on. You know, that, that exact thing. And we're talking about the shark series, not the the Bruins series, but there it was. Then the blues did go into that kind of mode for, uh, just shows how broken down the sharks were by the time they got it for game six, but how he was watching with Brad Fax and, um, I was playing with the guy that I work with on my swing yesterday. And I said, so I interviewed uh, Joe Buck in the podcast and he, he was saying, yeah, what happened? He lost this club championship, I understand, and had some putting issues. I said, yeah. And I said, guess who he went to see about his putting? And he starts naming a few St. Louis guys. I go, no. I said, you got to go a little higher on the, the pyramid. And then he named like a couple of like well-known swing instructors. I go, no, higher. And he goes, I don't know. And I go, Brad Fax. And he goes, of course, why not? Like the guy, like him and Ben Crenshaw are considered like two of the greatest putters of the last 40 years. And then why not be able to work with Brad Fax? And so, um... Anyway, I, I just, I could, you know, went home and told Anna Marie, uh, so yeah, had Joe on the podcast today. She's like, I love Joe. I just could sit and bullshit with Joe Buck for an hour and 10 minutes. And I get it that probably people are like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's Joe Buck. So you're in star fucker mode and, you know, but, and I, I get it. Listen, he's the top broadcaster in the game or however you want to rank him top three or four for certain, even if you are one of those people who can't stand him for whatever reason. Um, but just, we just kind of have the same sense of humor and random, like to talk about random crap. And that's, that's exactly up my alley. So, uh, grateful that he came in, enjoyed the conversation. Always feel like he kind of gets candid in here. And, uh, even though I guess we only have two of these to go off of, but, uh, Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thank you to Gangster Pete Niggy for producing it. Thank you to our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 
James Carlton, Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Chevy, find new roads for making it possible. Thank you to the listeners for making it possible. When I say this in sincerity, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps the business. Uh, just, just by clicking subscribe. And then you're like, you know, if you don't want to listen, then you don't listen. But just subscribe. It helps the cause. And if you could, a review. Because we do, we have, you know, I'll, uh, I'll blow our own horn here. I mean, to, to do nearly two years of every week, really good guess is a tribute to uh, everybody working on this thing because that is not an easy thing to pull off. Um, me sitting around and doing questions from the audience, which I love doing, uh, and you can email your questions, any question, any feedback, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Um, you know, I mean, that's just that's just me and the microphone, and I can do that whenever. But getting these guests in here to come in too most of the time, that's not an easy accomplishment. And uh, I'm, I am proud of that because that, I, I know that that's not easy. And uh, I tip my cap to Gangster Pete Nagy now, the Seamaster, for the first uh, 10 months of it. And um, and grateful to the listeners who continue to subscribe and, and support the sponsors who make it possible. So hope you enjoyed the conversation with Joe Buck. For everyone on the Tim McKernan Show, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.